Well, very often, as we go into the summer, we go into the songs for summer, that is the, the psalms. And uh, New Life Church as a whole is going into the psalms for summer, but uh, the elders, Rick and I, have been talking about uh, leadership in the church. This last year has been a difficult year uh, for leading in any capacity anywhere. It's, it's been a difficult year. And just last week, we said goodbye to one of our elders, Kevin Brown, as he goes to uh, pastor a church in New Mexico. And we thought it would be good uh, to take a couple of weeks to talk about leadership in the church. What does leadership in the church look like? And so um, this morning, I want to take a look at, at the book of Titus. Titus is a really good place to start when you're considering leadership in the church because the purpose for the writing of the book of Titus, Peter was writing a letter to a young man named Titus and he was, was writing to him to uh, explain, hey, I need you to appoint elders in the churches and this is what those elders are to do, and this is why it's important for those elders to be there. And so really the whole focus of the book of Titus is to uh, point toward the leadership of the church. And so next week we're going to be talking about who is an elder, what, what are the qualifications and what is the role of an elder. And, but this week what I want to talk about first, before we get to that, is um, what does it look like, who are the people of the church? Right? Because as I talk with people, sometimes I'm talking with people and I'm talking about uh, the challenges of, of church leadership and they go, yeah, I'm really glad I'm not called to be a leader in the church. And I just have to pause and go, why, why is that? Why are you glad that you don't feel called currently to be a leader in the church? Is it because of the burden of responsibility is it because uh, you feel like then you would have to have some sort of qualifications that you don't currently have, that you'd have to have some kind of ability that you don't currently have, that your character would have to meet a certain standard that you don't feel like it currently meets, like you would be under scrutiny that you aren't currently under? What, why is it that people feel like, oh, I'm really glad that I'm not called to church leadership? And that's why I wanted to start and rather than jump straight into elders, which was going to go next week, the reason that I want to start here is because I think that there's this perception that elders are a different class of people. There are the people of the church, and then there are the elders, as though this is a different kind of person. Only a unique person could be called to eldership. And, and I want to say that's, that's just not accurate. We, we've had a, a I mean, uh, Andy, uh, Dan Lundy, uh, Rick Brownell, Kevin Brown, me, uh, personality-wise, the, the, the traits that we bring, the qualifications that we bring, the experiences, that, uh, we are very different people. Sometimes it was really rich, the conversations that we would have because of those differences. Sometimes we drive each other nuts because of the differences. We, but we are very different people. We are not just one type of person. And I think that what we're going to see as we're looking at the book of Titus this morning is that all of God's people are called to a standard of character and of leadership. So let's look together at Titus chapter 2. But as for you... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
Okay, so he's writing to Titus, and he's saying, this, this is what I want you to do. He's been talking about elders, the qualifications for elders, and how he wants Titus to appoint elders in every church. And then he says, and then because there's these, these people that are bringing in these false doctrines, these false teachings, and so uh, they have disqualified themselves from any kind of work because of um, their pursuit of these false doctrines. But as for you, as for you, Titus, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus, I want you to, to know what lines up with the truths of the scriptures, and I want you to teach that. Don't teach anything else. Just teach that. What lines up with sound doctrine? This is what we try to do at New Life Church. You'll notice that at New Life Church, every time we get up to, to speak, we're pulling open God's Word. It might look different than it used to. It's on a tablet now. But we open God's Word and we read God's Word and we want to say we're submitting to God's Word. If I stand up and I just express my opinions about things, that doesn't count for much. But if I get up and I read you God's word and I say, this is my best understanding of what God's word says, what it means, and how it applies to us, then you also can look at God's word and you can say, yes, this lines up with what I also am seeing. By taking God's word and applying it to our lives and, and by uh, extracting what, what it's trying to say from it, you also can look at it and evaluate, is what Travis is saying correct? There's no mystery in it, right? If ever I stand up and you go, wow, that's weird, I've never heard that before, then the first thing that you should do is go, is that true? And how would you check? Well, you'd dive right back into the scriptures and you would look at the context of what I'm pulling out and you'd look at the, the breadth of the scriptures and you would say, yep, that's what it says. Or, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Travis because I don't think that's what it says. Rick has repeatedly come up to me after the service and gone, is that sure? are you sure that's what that says? And then we talk it through. And sometimes I'm reading through it and I go, wow, that, I have never seen it that way before. And I bring it to you and I say, I've never seen it this way before. But, but the, whole, the whole point is that we are lining it up, what we're teaching, with what's sound, with what has integrity, with what's stable and secure. Right? With, with what's sound doctrine. If you imagine a structure and you say, is that structure sound? What you're meaning is, is it stable and secure? Is it built on a solid foundation? Or is there something about it that's going to wobble and fall over? We don't want our teachings, our doctrines, our understanding of who God is to wobble and fall over. We want it to be strong. We want it to be sure. We want it to be sound. We want to check it for cracks. Is there any weakness here? And so, Peter, uh, Peter, Paul writes to Titus and he says, okay, but as for you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here we begin. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. They are to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. 
I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but is there anybody in here who identifies, self-identifies as an older man? Here's what you ought to be, older men. You ought to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. There were days of youth and passion. There were days when you could fly off the handle, but those days are past. You're dignified. You have self-control that you didn't have before. The years of experience have allowed you to overcome some of those inclinations and tendencies within you. You have now mastered them. Not completely, but mostly. As the Holy Spirit works in your life, you are now this kind of a man. The kind of man who is serious about things. That doesn't mean you don't have fun, but you're not flippant either. You're sober-minded, you're dignified, you're self-controlled, and this, I love this, you are sound. So, right, we talked about uh, the teaching that accords with sound doctrine, now you are sound. And what are you sound in? Faith, in love, and in steadfastness. I'm reminded of, uh, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And here we have faith and love and steadfastness, patience, continuing on for a long period of time. You are sound in these things. Your faith is stable and secure. I've talked with some of you and you've, and you've talked with me about um, your faith and how your faith has developed and deepened and grown. And how, you know, here's what I have heard. And this is one of the things that I appreciate about having older men in the congregation. They say, you know, when you get to be my age, and I just go, feed me. What have you got? And then there's the wisdom that comes out. You realize that God is faithful, that God always provides, that you're never lacking. I've had older guys tell me, this is why I tithe. It's because I've seen God's faithfulness over years and years. I've had older guys tell me about what it, what it looks like to uh, go through parenthood and look at it backwards from the other side and say, wow, how did I make it through all of this? Sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. The time has passed, right? We, the, the, there has been this time that has passed to allow for the refining of character so that all of the stuff that causes the weaknesses and all of the things that cause the, the difficulties and challenges, those have been uh, taken off. 
And that what remains now is this steadfast, sound faith and love. That's what we're called to. As, as, a, as someone who would still, in some ways, like to identify as a younger man, this is what I aspire to be. What are you looking forward to? What are you wanting to become? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be this. I want to be called an old man who's sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. One who's sound in faith, in love, and in steadfast. Who wouldn't want that? This, this is contrary then to the idea that, wow, I'm, I'm glad I'm not called to church leadership. Who wouldn't want to aspire to this? Remember sitting with my grandfather, I just would love to go and visit him. Because of the wisdom that would come from him. And whatever I talked about, it just seemed like he knew all the answers. And it wasn't because he knew everything, he just had a different perspective on things. And so even though I would bring something that, that he didn't really understand it, that thing... When I spent a lot of time with him when I was in college, and he may not have understood all of the things that I was learning in college, but he had a depth of experience of life and relationship with God, and he just knew how to apply that wisdom, even if he didn't understand the specifics. I aspire to that. As I think through the scriptures and I think about who are the old guys of the scriptures, just even in the New Testament, you've got uh, Peter and Paul and John. These guys that, they were young men when they were walking with Jesus, but by the time they were writing letters, they were older guys. And they were writing to encourage and strengthen the church. These were the guys that formed councils that, that if you had a question, you would come and you would ask them these questions and they would wrestle it through. And then Paul now is writing to a young man and he's writing and he's saying, look, here's what, here's what ministry looks like in the church. I went around and I planted these churches and I started them, but, but now you have to, to appoint elders in those churches and you have to strengthen them and shore them up. And here's what it's going to look like to walk with people through relationships and hard times. Here's what it means to lead in the church. These are the older guys. You read the letters of John to the church? The depth of the love that he has? How sound was that man in love? So encouraging. So reminding people of the love that they have received in Jesus. And therefore, the love that they ought to have for one another. These are the guys I aspire to be. And then he says in verse 3, older women likewise. Older women in the same way. Now you know there's no way I would make you raise your hand now. So you can just think in your mind, do you identify, self-identify as an older woman? Older women in the same way are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. 
the character of the older woman is to be the same as that of the older man. The, the way that he describes this, to be reverent in their behavior is, is like a priestly. To be priestly in your behavior. To walk in a, a dignified way. How wonderful to have that in our church. Older women who walk in a dignified way, older women who, who have sort of this priestly presence about them, that this way of bringing you into God's presence as you're with them. The type of women who are interceding on your behalf and praying with you and for you, who love to rejoice and worship God with you, who model prayer. And who are quick to pray. I told you I, I, I remember spending so much time at the feet of my grandfather. In the same way in the presence of my grandmother. What a wonderful woman. She was so full of life. There was nothing that woman couldn't do. I, I am convinced she could strip the engine from a car and put it back together, no problem. You would go over to her house and at 75 years old, she's getting up on the ladder and she's painting things and you're going, I don't know that that's a good idea. But strong? This was a woman who, who grew up on the farm and she carried that strength with her into her old age. But the depth of her character and the joy and the love that you felt in her presence, this is what we want. Who doesn't aspire to that? Not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The older women are modeling for the younger women. This is what life looks like. This is how you do this. They are training, teaching, encouraging, exhorting. This is what it looks like to be self-controlled. This is what it looks like to be pure. This is what it looks like to be working at home and kind. Now, working at home, when, when, when I think that, the, the connotation that I have is housework. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Because when I think about the church, at this time, the church was in home. Think about uh, Jesus going over to Martha and Mary's house. And Martha was showing hospitality. You can see this in, in Luke chapter 10. You can see it again in, in John chapter 12. 
and the hospitality that was shown because the way that the life of the church worked was it didn't come into a building like this. It met in people's homes. That's where the study was happening. That's where the rejoicing was happening. That's where the, the uh, biblical discussion was happening, where the teaching was happening, where the modeling was happening. It was all in the home. This idea that, um, that guys would be over here, but women would be back at home, that's, that's not what this is talking about in any way. Because the church was happening in the home. This was like life groups. And so you have this, this hospitality that is happening so that the life of the church can happen. And that that teaching and that modeling of behavior is happening in the home. Teaching them, training them to love their husbands and their children. And I can't help but think of, of Lois and Eunice, right? As, as Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, and he was saying, Timothy, I see the faith that's in you, and I know that it's sure. It's just like it was in your mother and in your grandmother. In Lois and in Eunice. How they modeled that for you, how they taught you. How they raised you in the understanding of who God is. And so now, even as a young man, you are able to serve in the church in a leadership capacity because of the way those women have poured into you and modeled what it means to follow Jesus. I think also of, of Priscilla. I wish that we knew more about Priscilla. Because when a young man named Apollos was out teaching about who Jesus was, he, he was out teaching and he had powerful words. The way that he spoke was compelling and people listened to him. And it says that Priscilla and her husband Aquila heard him and went, oh wow, he really speaks well, but he doesn't really understand the scriptures yet. He doesn't fully get it. And so they had him over. Priscilla and Aquila had him over and they explained further the word of God so that his doctrine would be sound. And I don't know why, but nearly every time they're listed, it's Priscilla and her husband Aquila. Acts chapter 18. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Paul speaks of them often, this, this godly couple that worked in ministry together and how he co-labored with them and all of the great things that they had done together. And we don't have nearly enough of it in the scriptures. I want to know more about these people. What are they doing? How did it work? We see others like Mary, the mother of John Mark, who in uh, Acts 12 hosts a prayer meeting in her home. And we have these women then who are doing these things so that the word of God may not be reviled. Self-controlled, pure, 
working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Those of you who identify as younger women, isn't this what we're aspiring to? You look up to those older women and say, that, that's, I want to spend more time with them. I want to know what they know. I want to grow up to be just like them. Likewise, the younger men ought to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be models of good work. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us if we thought that we could get away with something because of our youth it doesn't work He's writing to a young man saying, just like the younger women, the younger men also need to be self-controlled. And showing yourself in every respect to be a model of good works. In every respect being a model of good works. And I think about what we are called to be as Christians. To follow God and to set an example for others to follow him as well. What kind of an example are you setting? What kind of an example are you setting for other Christians to follow? And maybe you go, well, I'm not as mature as some of the other Christians are, and so, you know, that's maybe not me. No, it is. What kind of model are you setting for other Christians to follow in their following of Jesus? What kind of model are you setting for your non-Christian friends and family on what it means to follow Jesus? What kind of model are you, are you giving them that they might see it? You see, I, I think that we want to relegate leadership to some class of people, some group of people over there somewhere, and we don't recognize that all of us are called to be models of what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You are called to be a model of what it means to follow Jesus, to set an example in fact, you are doing that right now, whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not. You are setting an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Is that the example that you want to, to, that you want to set? Is that the example you want to show? Many years ago, I was asked to speech, speak at a college group on leadership. And what I told them was this. You are either influencing people 
or you are wasting your opportunities. You're either influencing people or you're wasting your opportunities. We're all called to that kind of leadership. Show yourselves in all respects to be models of good works. In your teaching, show integrity and dignity. I love that. When you're teaching the scriptures, when you're explaining the scriptures to someone, do that with integrity. Up with the very things that you're teaching. You're checking yourself at the same time as you're teaching it, explaining it. And with dignity. The the context of of the church is is not a, a place for condescension. It's not a place for combativeness. It's a place for dignified teaching and explanations. Sound in speech that cannot be condemned, so that even if an opponent may be, uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame and having nothing evil to say about us. I think about guys like uh, Titus and Timothy, like Apollos. Guys that that were um, called to ministry and many others that we don't know their names and the work that they were doing. Then he says this in verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God, of God our Savior. Do you know what I like about this? He brings bondservants in. This would have been a lower class of people. A people who, outside the context of the church, wouldn't really have rights. They were bondservants. And so the temptation when you have somebody who is over you like a bondservant would, would be um, to be angry about that, to steal stuff, to try and get away with things. And what he says is, don't do that. There's no reason for that. Submit to that authority that is placed over you, even if it seems unjust at the time. Model godly behavior in that situation. Well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And then when you walk into the doors of the church, when you walk into the community of God's people, you now are considered a brother and sister in Christ. Out there, maybe not. Maybe you would be considered something different out there. But within the context of God's people, we relate to one another in a different way. I think specifically of Onesimus in Philemon. Here's a bondservant. One who ran away, and Paul gets a hold of him. And Paul sends him back to Philemon and writes a note along with. 
saying, Philemon, I know that Onesimus has been rebellious and has not been helpful, but now he can be helpful to you not only as a bondservant, but also for the work of Jesus Christ in the church. Welcome him not just as a bondservant, but as a brother in Christ. Your relationship with him has changed. The other reason that I appreciate this is because Paul so often refers to himself as a bondservant for Christ. We are all bondservants for Jesus. We have been bought with a price. Jesus has laid down his life for us and now we serve him with all submission. Not trying to get away with stuff but in everything, trying to honor him. And why do we do all of these things? Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is for everybody, right? He... he, addressed specific groups and now he's saying and for everyone now the grace of God has appeared and has brought us salvation we had a sin issue and we're not right with God and that has been dealt with now we are coming into right relationship with God and we are being trained to renounce our ungodliness and our worldly passions. We are being trained to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Yes, we know there will be an age of glory. When this life is over, we will be with God eternally and perfectly. But even in this present age, until we get to there, we will still live upright and godly lives. We will still be self-controlled in the way that we express ourselves, in the way that we conduct ourselves. We will be models of what it means to follow Jesus. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why do we do all of these things? Why do we have this kind of character as old men, as old women, as young men, as young women, as bondservants? Why do we have this kind of character? It is because of the glory of Jesus Christ that is coming again, who already has come to redeem us from lawlessness. He's redeemed us from all of the old way of living, all of the shameful way of living, all of the ungodly way of living. He has taken us out of that to bring us into something new. And as he brings us into something new, he brings us into that new life in the community of his people where we love and encourage and exhort one another so that we might be people for him who are zealous for good works, passionate to do the things that God has asked of us. And what I find for me personally is that even as a pastor, sometimes I'm not very zealous for the good works. I mean, I like God. 
but I kind of want to just live my life and also like God. Without acknowledging that he has redeemed my life, he has purchased my life so that I might passionately follow him and do all that he would ask of me. Being zealous for good works. That's what we're called to. Not all of us have the title of elder, but I would hope that all of us are doing elder-like things, that we are all aspiring to the character that an elder is supposed to have, that we are, are caring for, that we are checking the doctrine of each other person, that we're checking our own doctrine, that we're modeling for others what it means to love and follow Jesus, that we are praying for one another and caring for one another. There's nothing about those things that is set aside for elders only. No one's going to come along and go, hang on, time out. Were you just shepherding them? I'm sorry, that's for the elders to do? I'm sorry, were you just checking doctrine? That's for the elders to do. I'm sorry, were you just modeling behavior? Only the elders can do that. In no church would that ever happen. Not one that is following Christ. Because a church that is following Christ wants every member of that church to be sound in doctrine and modeling for one another what it means to follow Christ because they are zealous for good works. And so he says, declare these things. Make them known, teach them, preach them, declare them, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Why can you do that? Why can you uh, uh, declare and exhort and rebuke with all authority? Because it comes from the Scriptures. We're just bringing the Scriptures to bear on the lives of other people and on ourselves. And so we can do that with all authority. First, we teach it. This is what the Word of God says. This is what we ought to be doing. Then we encourage people, so go and do such things. And if necessary, rebuke. That's not what we have been teaching. Do you see that what you're doing is not lining up with what God has called you to do? Do you see that who you are becoming is not who God has called you to be? And so we teach we declare, we exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking about what it looks like for an elder. I would love to have you be praying for our church. That leaders would rise up in this church. We're already seeing leaders in this church. We have a couple of elders. We have a couple of people who are functioning as elders, even though they don't have the title. 
We have people who are leading ministries. Foster Parents Night Out is a ministry that is being led by people in this church. Hospitality ministries. Life group leaders. Life group hosts. We have people that are... are, uh, taking care of the grounds here. We have people that are, are stepping up in women's ministry. We have people that, that I would love to see step up into a formal men's ministry. We have people here who are caring for others. We have people here who are, are serving and leading in unofficial ways. By showing hospitality, by inviting others in, by teaching and encouraging. We're hoping to have an Awana ministry again in the fall. We have a children's ministry right now. These are places for for serving and for leading. We have people who who are serving as online hosts. So that when you join an online service, there's somebody who's chatting with you. We have an audiovisual team. We really appreciate these guys. When it doesn't work right, we really appreciate how often it works correctly. There there is room to serve on these teams. There is room to lead. And you may have ideas of ways that, that uh, we might engage with our community or we might encourage the body of, of, of believers more. And so bring that up. There is room for more ministry here. There is room to do more. And so I would encourage you that as we, in the next couple of weeks, look at eldership and what it looks like to be under godly leadership, the blessings of being under godly leadership, that you would look and say, okay, where am I leading? Where am I leading? Where am I serving? Where am I zealous for the good works? Or am I squandering my opportunities? Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that that we would respond to you. Lord, we know that we cannot make ourselves acceptable to you by our works, but that you have already made us acceptable by your work, by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so now, Father, having purchased us by the blood of Jesus, We ask, would you show us what it means to follow him? Would you be at work in our hearts and in our minds to put away the the, um, worldly passions that we have and the temptations that we have so that instead we might passionately pursue you and do the good things that you have called us to? Lord, I pray for the people in this church that they would be sound in doctrine. That they would have integrity in the way that their personal lives align with the sound doctrine that they believe. 
and then that they would make every opportunity, make use of every opportunity to model, teach, exhort, and rebuke so that the whole body might reflect your love and might bring praise and glory to your name. And we ask for this in Jesus' name.